The Fanboy, episode 136. Hi, everybody. Mario Francisco Robles and Brett Thomas Miro here with That's you today me. for episode 136 of the Fanboy Podcast. How's everybody doing out there? Brett, more specifically, how are you doing, sir? Oh, man, I'm, I'm great. I'm ready to talk about stuff. Let's dance. Let's dance. We're going to dance the night away. In. We're doing it. All right. We're so we're going to go straight into topics because you deserve nothing less. So, all right. So our first topic of the day, uh, we're going to start things off as we should with a quick Superman on film update. Are you ready for this sterling, unbelievable update of the state of Superman in cinema, Brett? I'm ready. All right. There have been exactly zero developments in, oh. in when it comes to the next Superman uh, movie. And it's honestly, it's been that way now for close to a year. I think I'm going to start one of those like countdowns or or days since. I remember how like there's the Hulk like days without incident and all that. Yeah. Sort of <laughs> We're going to have to do like a days without Superman news because really up in, I think like the last stuff was from March of last year when they were talking about Ta-Nehisi Coates and James right. Abrams and all that stuff. And it's been radio silent ever since. <laughs> but look, in lieu of having some juicy Superman movie news to lead with, I thought we could talk a little bit about where we're at right now in terms of getting on the on-ramp for a new Superman movie. Because honestly, that's one of the reasons I launched supermanonfilm.com. You know, it's w one of these days soon. We're going to be on the on-ramp for a brand new movie. We're going to have a director and a release date, and there's going to be a lot to talk about. This is my optimism. It's going to happen soon. I swear. I swear. But <laughs> since we are approaching an on-ramp, I hope, I was thinking recently about when Man of Steel was the next big thing that was on the horizon. You know, after all kinds of development hell, after Superman Returns almost gave us a sequel and then didn't, and then there were lots of little false starts here and there. Finally, after, you know, six years after Superman Returns came out, we finally started hearing things about this Man of Steel movie. And right now, I kind of want to just kind of compare where we're at, because it's interesting. There are some similarities there are some differences and some of it, like, I'm not exactly sure how I feel about it. So <laughs> Brett, like I keep talking about the fact that as much as I would love to see Henry Cavill back as Superman. And I think there's a, the, there's a way to do like a man of steel sequel that would really take him to the next level and be like, you know, mm -hmm. the big modern Superman Absolutely. classic of our times, as much as I'd like that. I would also love for a visionary director to step in and kind of do what Matt Reeves is doing with Batman, right? I've referenced that a bunch of times, but this week it dawned on me that that's actually impossible at this point. <laughs> like with the current way that things are lined up, they're already working on a Superman story without even hiring a director. So yeah, here, right now, like the similarities are, when Man of Steel was being produced, you had Christopher Nolan as like the mega producer, him and his brother and David Goyer had all sort of worked out a story. And then they brought in Zack Snyder as a sort of hired gun. 
and you know now direct this thing that we would like to get made right and funny enough that's where we are now with this new superman movie where you have abrams as like in the nolan position as the godfather as the uber producer jaja abrams that he is Jaja abrams <laughs> and we've got tanahisi coates an all-star writer a very interesting writer a well-known and respected writer but right now we have a completely vacant director's chair and it kind of made me feel a certain kind of way when i realized that i'm like wait a minute so Right now, the way things are set up, it's not really we're not in a place where a huge Superman fan can just come in and be like, this is the universe. This is the world I want to build. This is the Superman story I've dreamt of telling my whole filmmaking career, you know, and uh, I, know, I guess I'm I'm curious how you what's your take on that? Like, do you think a movie's better? when the director is kind of there from the inception of the project or do you think it's fine when they're just sort of a a hired gun after the fact sure i mean it, it depends on the you know director or auteur like you have your james guns who mm -hmm. have had pretty much control of his guardians of the galaxy films yeah. whereas a lot of the rest of the marvel movies have really been you know uh you know basically write the script find the guy that's going to be able to bring that script to life or guy or gal i should say um but yeah, I mean, sometimes I, I think with Superman in this case, I, I really like this approach because I think they know we got to nail a script down. We got to get an amazing, phenomenal story and a phenomenal script. And then we hunt and search for the guy that either brings us a pitch on how to bring that to life or they find yeah. the guy that they think is the one to bring that script to life versus trusting an auteur. I mean, I know uh, Zack Snyder uh, uh, was not, I think... Uh, at least Man of Steel, I know he didn't write that one, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah. he has had his hands in basically like the Justice League and Batman and Superman. I think he was very yeah. heavily involved in the script where you got that kind of auteur approach. And, you know, listen, we know how that went despite how a lot of his fans feel. And even me, like I, I still enjoyed all those movies. I didn't like hate them. So, but I think Warner seeing that, they want to get away from that approach. They said, we, we got to get this right this time and we need to then find the guy that's going to bring it. And, you know... Uh, there's a little caution uh, with that too, because then you worry that like, well, then the studio is going to have a little bit extra to say at that point because they're kind of picking somebody. So I know I'm sure everyone kind of has nerves or, or leans all over in every direction. Yeah. So, yeah, for me, I'm, you know, I can, I kind of go both ways on it. I kind of wish that someone would come in with that epic pitch who just, this is what they've been waiting to do. Like, it seems like Matt Reeves is just like, right. You know, he's like a kid in a candy store when it comes to making his Batman movie. So there's a part of me that would love to have a filmmaker like that. But at the same time, I tend to trust Abrams in this role that he's in. I like him better as the producer who puts the team together than I do like him as the director actually in the director's seat, if that makes any sense. No, you know, I think he's good at like putting together the right creative team and giving them the tools they need to go do what they got to do, you know? Yeah. So I have to think that Abrams and Coates, if he hired Ta-Nehisi Coates, is because they do together have some sort of idea for the type of story they want to tell. And I guess the next step is that you know, once they have that story nailed down, they're going to go find their director. And it's, uh, you know, I just hope they get someone who's up to the task, you know, like right now, for my current fave, and I've mentioned this for a couple of years now, is I would love to see what Travis Knight does with Superman. You, are you familiar with his work? He did Bumblebee. 
He okay, did. Yes, uh, yeah. He did the animated Kubo and the two strings. He's got some interesting gifts when it comes to telling stories that have a lot of heart, but also have some commercial appeal. Like, what he did with Bumblebee. Did you did you see that? I actually didn't. I, I kind of Transformers series after the second one. I was like, I'm over it. <laughs> yeah, you're a huge embarrassing failure, but it's okay, yeah. Brett. But yeah, Travis Knight, I think, would have the right touch for a Superman movie. But in general, you know, I it's 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 going to be very intriguing to see how they go with this. And also if Coates ever turns in this script and sees what kind of story are we going to tell here? Is this going to be some sort of hard hitting, you know, broken glass mirror look at America? Cause Tani Hisi Coates seems to be sort of poised for that sort of stuff. But then again, he also wrote on black Panther. So I'm just, there's a lot of unknowns about this, but it, I guess it just recently struck me that here we are, at the beginning of this Superman movie process, and there is not a visionary auteur sitting in the driver's seat. And I just kind of wanted to discuss that a little bit. Um, but okay, so now we're going to shift on over to the other member of the world's finest. We're going to talk a little bit about Batman, because yes. I know we were gushing about it last week, about how everything we read and see about this movie just gets us more and more exciting, uh, more exciting, gets us more excited about it. And I know a couple of weeks ago, there were some interesting headlines where, where Reeve was, uh, Reeves was, was comparing him to Kurt Cobain and talking about how like he's not necessarily a playboy, but kind of a psycho weirdo guy. And uh, yeah. Brett, ha, ha, you know, what, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, if I if I may, uh, a lot of this also is coming out from a, a recent GQ interview that Pattinson did. So if you don't mind, I would like to read uh, an interesting quote Do uh, it. that I have here. Yeah. Um, so um, talking, he's referring to, I guess, you know, playing the dual identity of Bruce Wayne, Batman, mm -hmm. and, and more Bruce Wayne in this particular. He said, uh, quote, I've definitely found a little interesting thread. He doesn't have a Playboy persona at all, so he's kind of a weirdo as Bruce and a weirdo as Batman, and I kept thinking there's a more nihilistic slant to it. Because normally, in all the other movies, Bruce goes away, trains, and returns to Gotham believing in himself, thinking, I'm going to change things here. But in this, it's sort of implied that he's had a bit of a breakdown. Hmm. Um, so I, I, uh, I, I think I kind of hinted at this last week too, but I do really like that approach because it gives the character a lot of room to grow. It, it, what's interesting is I feel like, um, you know, in some of like the origin stories, like Batman's trying to figure out like how to be Batman. And yeah. I feel like in this, he knows how to be Batman already. He is Batman and he needs to figure out how to be Bruce Wayne. Mm, um, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. feel like even Christian Bale, which had <clears> such a, like Batman Begins had such like first half of the movie is just origin. You don't even see him in the suit until like, well, yeah, like halfway through the movie. But yeah, in that I feel like he almost kind of had the Bruce Wayne thing like figured out right away. Yeah. You know, I feel like he kind of just came right into it, and then, it's true. Right in the, and then he was learning how to be Batman. But yeah, so this is like it is an interesting uh, kind of switch on it. I really like what Reeves and him are going for, and you know maybe that's the benefit of the the auteur uh, you know view of it. But it's it, it's a really it's a really cool angle. Like you mentioned, the the Kurt Cobain like this like recluse you know that is very well known has like yeah. his fame to him. The whole world everyone knows who they are, now. but. They yeah. just want to be hiding somewhere. And also, like we said, like in the trailer, there is like hints that he's not necessarily living up to his family's philanthropy and mm -hmm. continuing that at this point. He's very lost. So, uh, you know, and that's probably why we have this kind of little more wilder, uh, 
you know, violent Batman that seems to have like no regard for his own well-being at all. Um, and it's scary and dangerous. And yeah, yeah just, he's walking it, right at people, shooting at him with machine guns. Yeah, yeah, like just doesn't care. And uh, yeah, it's 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 a it's a really cool way to go about this, especially at like you know this point in his career. He's like what like a like two years in or something like that. Mm-hmm. They said so. We're kind of past year one, but so he's got some experience under his belt, but. By the way, this is something really special. It really is. It has all the makings of just a great character story. And, Mm -hmm. you know, with that runtime, everyone's all upset about it's going to be the right thing. Trust me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He's got a story to tell. (laughs) You mentioned something, though, about year one. This is just a quick, tiny tangent because I still I get pissed about this. I wrote something about the Batman like two, three years ago. Just kind of the 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 rumors I was hearing at the time about what type of story it was, and that there were a lot of comparisons being made to Year One. And I remember I just mentioned that because you know there's listen now it's obvious, but at the time it was just people were comparing it to Year One. And when I that's all I said, and everyone lost their minds and said it's not Year One. They wouldn't do that again. Batman Begins was. Uh, loosely based on year one and you're out of your mind and your sources are wrong. And I got all this heat for that. And now everyone's seeing the trailers and Reeves is basically saying it in interviews. And I just want to just go back three years and be like, all right, everybody. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I digress. But in terms of getting back to how this Bruce is going to be portrayed, I'm with you in that this is going to be the first time we see movies in theory i'm saying movies plural because it seems like he has a few stories he wants to tell this will be the first time we see batman movies that actually try to put you inside the mind of this vigilante yeah and that's something that came up early too in early interviews when he was talking about what he sort of wanted to achieve here he was talking a little bit about getting inside the mind seeing you know his perspective the psychology of this guy who dresses up like a giant bat and fights crime because of this trauma that he suffered you know so it's going to be it's going to definitely be a mind trip it's going to be like probably the sickest weird batman story we've ever seen well it's it's certainly something they have explored in the comics like anyone yes. who's been following the comics for years they that is like such a key part to the character but well, what i meant was yeah we haven't seen it on the big screen uh-huh. yeah but yeah we haven't in in film form it mm-hmm. really hasn't come across aside from like you know hey michael kane had and, and uh um jeremy irons had some lines you know kind of being like you're you're really crazy <laughs> you know you're not you're <laughs> yeah. not you're really cra-. that was the actual line yeah. wasn't it you're really crazy um <laughs> But um, <laughs> but you know whatever yeah. they they there's like throwaway lines with that. But now like we're really gonna see it, and it's just it's just it's I'm happy we're getting like a really, you know I want to say like original. It's definitely drawn from the comics, but it's just like a, a a nice take um and a nice angle to like I guess start this new like, yeah uh, you know possible trilogy because I know they have other stories planned. They've mentioned yeah. it, but uh, you know they did the line right. We're focusing on this one right now, but yeah, we do have plans for the future. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Basically, if this brings in money, Warner Brothers just goes do it, do more. <laughs> so, yeah. by the way, do you find it interesting? This is just like to me. I don't know if this counts as trivia or what, but when when Affleck was in charge of the Batman, mm-hmm. when Affleck was going to be doing that and he was working on a script with Jeff Johns that got a polish by I think they said Chris Terrio um when back during that period his apparent influences the stuff that he was looking to was David Fincher movies it was being compared to the game and then Matt Reeves takes over 
And he also is thinking about David Fincher movies, but he's thinking about like Zodiac and Seven. Right. And I think it's funny. Like, why does everyone seem to think that David Fincher has the perfect Batman aesthetic? You know, it's yeah. just, maybe it's he funny. does. Maybe he does. I mean, listen, I've been saying forever, David Fincher would be like my 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 you know my pie in the sky dream director. Right. For Batman, just like for me, honestly, my pie in the sky dream director for Superman, who would never touch it, is Steven Spielberg. So, you know, I have my pie in the sky. Hey, it ain't going to happen, people. And if Fincher did a Batman series, I'd be all for it. But then again, it looks like Reeves is going to kind of give us that. But either yeah. way, it seems like both Affleck and Reeves are like, you know, this Fincher guy. There's something about his storytelling. He's, he's talented. Yeah, you know. <laughs> anyway, so now sticking within the world of Gotham and of Batman, uh, you know, there was a Suicide Squad movie that came out not last year, but six years ago. And you know what, Brett? People are still clamoring to see it. Yes, there's uh, been some recent uh, chatter again about the air cut of Suicide Squad. And the big headline this week is that Will Smith dead shot himself from that film. Will Smith has made some comments in support of the movie, saying he would love to see it. Now, he also said that he loves both versions of that movie. You know, the one that Ayer made and the one that they ended up with, um, which I don't know how anyone could love the, uh, the, the theatrical cut. But he spoke in favor of, you know, he's basically pointing out a lot of things were left on the cutting room floor. Floor? Floor. Oh, and yeah. uh, shut up. And uh, and he would love to see the Ayer cut of Suicide Squad. So before I give my answer, I'm just curious, Brett, do you want to see the Ayer cut of Suicide Squad? Eh, I'm, I'm over <laughs> it. Like, I'm over it. Like, listen, would it hurt anybody to release it? No. Would it just be like a nice little like oddity, like, a, like yeah. a, you know, a curio kind of? That's basically what Justice League was. And listen, that was and I, I enjoyed that much better than the theatrical cut. But you know, for first of all, Batman. Uh, I mean, uh, Justice League, to my opinion, was still not as bad as Suicide Squad. I, I have very strong feelings on that one. I think I think it's like maybe one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Like wow. so much that I literally watched until the final battle. The final battle, which should be like the thing you with the raspberry for, people. Yeah, and I just I just turned it off. I was Ooh. like, I don't even I don't even care what happens. Um, it it was so for me. I mean, like I. At least like Justice League theatrical cut going to the Snyder cut, I was like, I could see that something better is going to come out of this. I don't know that what I'm going to get out of this. I'm sure it will be better, but like, yeah. I can't imagine it really turning the tables that much, in my opinion. So I just I want to move on. We have like these new things. We're going to be getting a new, you know, uh, like Aquaman and Wonder Woman that are you know still from like that, that you know previous era. Uh, we're getting our Flash that is kind of from that previous era. That's going to be kind of yeah. bridging the gap between the previous and the new. We have our new Batman. We're waiting on Superman, um, and then hopefully you know all these other little projects that you know uh, these Green Lantern series. I think is still floating around for like hbo max yeah uh, yeah let's just get to that i don't need to any more any more cuts i don't need anyone else's cuts <laughs> see ordinarily or if you'd asked me this maybe a year ago i might have been with you i might have said air cut listen in spanish air ayer means yesterday i would have said that's <laughs> yesterday's news let's move on <laughs> but instead of saying that was ayer I saw Zack Snyder's Justice League last year, and I got proof for myself that there is some value in these alternate cuts. And honestly, 
listen, I'm a David Ayer guy. I loved his script for Training Day. I've loved a lot of the stuff that he has worked on. I, I, I did you ever see that one um, End of Watch with Michael Pena and Jake Gyllenhaal? No, I never. Oh, dude, David Ayer brings the goods in a very big way. And I know that that shitty, shitty movie that came out in August of 2016 did not represent what that guy could do. Yeah, and and I, don't, I don't fault him or blame yeah, him you know, I know, for I know. that either. I just, yeah. uh, it's, but there's know. a part of me that's like, I got to see what Ayer wanted to do, what the original idea was. Because you know what? You know, I was a doubter about whether or not Zack Snyder's Justice League would be any better than what we got. And then I saw it. And I was blown away. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe they should have just let him release this cut of the movie. Um, so for me, like, I, I'm a little more open-minded here because especially now in this age of like the multiverse and the streaming platforms and everything is kind of on its own, you know, Zack Snyder's Justice League coming out didn't derail all the other DC stuff that's coming. It just happened and exists in a vacuum. So I think they could create a special like fan event ratings grab sort of alternate cut of Suicide Squad that I, I would totally be down for. So, well, you know, what's different about this, too, is that, you know, Justice League, the theatrical came out and then we knew we weren't getting another Justice League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. We didn't get anything, you know, beyond that. Whereas at this point. I've now gotten a new Suicide Squad that I love and yeah. I really liked a lot. So now it's even like weirder because it's like, well, we already got another one and it improves pretty much everything. I mean, that is, yeah, and that is a good point. And you Justice know. League, Snyder, uh, <laughs> Snyder Cut of Justice League did not have to go up against something like that. Yeah. And, you know, because I feel like had another Justice League come out that was like leaps and downs better, then I might have felt the same way. Whereas before I was like, no, I want the Snyder Cut. Um, I mean, I could have won either way. I was never like, oh my God, Snyder Cut. Um, yeah. but also, I, I, I have to mention too, not everybody was horrible. Oh, but there we go. <laughs> I don't know. I don't like to reward kind of like negative behavior. Mm -hmm. And there are just some people like, listen, the people that are asking nicely and just want to see it, like, I, I'm with you. You know what I mean? But like, there's just a lot of people being, uh, being shitty. Let's just say what it is. And yeah. like, then I feel like, like, even when the Snyder cut, when it got announced, I, there was like part of me that like, didn't feel good about it because I was like, <laughs> people were just being shitty. And then like, we just gave them what they want. And now like, you're just encouraging them to continue being shitty. So, yeah. And I, I kind mean, of feel like this way too. It's kind of like, you know, right. A couple of rotten apples, uh, sour the bunch or whatever. Yeah. I get it. I mean, listen, there's a part of me that would love to just like. If all that stuff is in the rearview mirror, then we don't have to hear from all these people who put the hashtag on every single post right. and who anything that Warner Media tweets out suddenly gets spammed with restore the this and release the that. Listen, yeah. I, I'm with you on that, but there's still just the 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 film geek in me wants to see what the hell David Ayer had in mind there. Maybe right. Will Smith's uh, endorsement will help get that over the finish line. So we'll see. Um, all right, so we're going to move on now, though. We're going to talk a little bit about Mission Impossible because there were some interesting headlines about that. I mean, one of the things I saw was that apparently the budget for Part 7 was almost $300 million. But, I mean, listen, I, I can't really judge that. Maybe part of that is, remember, they filmed 7 and 8 back-to-back, -back, so maybe right. that's for 
both movies. They could I be sharing know. resources and production staff yeah. and like had a second team shoot it while they're shooting seven principal photography. You could have a location team True. scouting yeah. and shooting B-roll for eight. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So that they could kind of. Yeah, it'd be funny idea. too, depending on how they do the bookkeeping. We find out mission yeah. and, you know, MI7 cost 290 and MI8 cost five bucks. You know, like, <laughs> but like the, the one that the, the headline that grabbed my attention that I wanted to talk a little bit about is there's a quote co- being attributed to Variety where there's an insider who apparently claims that epi- uh, episodes that films seven and eight are going to basically act as like the conclusion of Ethan Hunt's arc, sort of a transition. Like we're going to go elsewhere after eight where there won't be. Tom Cruise is Ethan Hunt. And to me, that's intriguing because I remember a time back in like 2006 or seven, right around when Tom Cruise became a pariah in public. Remember when he jumped on (laughs) Oprah's couch and like freaked everyone out about how much he loved Katie Holmes and everyone was like, what the hell's going on with That's Tom still a Cruise? classic. Go back and yeah. watch it. If you, yeah. if, if and you like, haven't ever seen it, go watch it. And go he squeezes YouTube. Oprah's hands and it's really awkward and uncomfortable. It's just, I'm just all in love. Anyway. Um, so anyway, I remember around that time, Paramount was like messing around with the idea of we may have to ditch Tom Cruise as the star <laughs> of Mission Impossible. Because even MI3, the box office had suffered. J.J. Abrams had come in to direct it. He had Philip Seymour Hoffman. The film got really good reviews, but MI3 got very low box office, comparatively right. speaking. And they attributed to that, that to the fact that the Tom Cruise brand was sagging something awful. And at the time, they were talking about transitioning into a new leading man. And, and there was even talk at the time that that's why they brought um, Jeremy, Jeremy Renner's Renner. character in for four. That like he would suddenly become the main guy after a time and whatever. And then obviously they changed their minds on that and they realized that people have very short attention spans and that Tom Cruise is re-welcomed back into everyone's life. Yeah. And now he's been here again another, you know, it's he been was like, I'll, years. I'll do crazy life-threatening stunts. And they were like, you know what? Oh, Tom, cool. come right back. Come so, right back yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah so, so, so there was a time when they toyed with this, but now here we are where that, that that might be the reality that after eight maybe our boy ethan hunt finally gets to retire and go be with that wife or go be with uh rachel ferguson's character um whatever her name is you know and i guess i'm just curious you know th- this series now has been around since like 1995 or 96 we're going on yeah. Way too long now we're going on 27 years of mission impossible movies do you think that this is a series that could survive without Tom Cruise. You think the brand, the franchise itself is strong enough to mutate into something without Tom Cruise in it. I, I think it is, it is, first of all, it's one of my favorite uh, film series ever. I, Thank I you. Love, absolutely yeah, love I agree, man. I don't it's think it's one of the best action movies. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe I feel like people don't talk about it enough. Maybe they do. I don't know, but like it, they should, it's they're, they're awesome. Um, yeah. Especially the recent ones have been really tremendous. Anyway, uh, by the way, that I, those are all movies where Abrams put the team together. He was in the producer right. role. He mm-hmm. hired the writers and directors, and the rest was history. Keep going. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's like that series is so the identity is Tom Cruise. Um, yeah. What I feel like will probably happen because I feel like you, you've already. I'll give you some examples, but 
this the movie series will end. They're not going to jump into another set of movies. Hopefully, I really think if they did, it's not going to do well. What I could see them doing is they're going to end up doing like a Paramount Plus like series, mm. and they'll they'll do like a oh, streaming wow. version with a new person. Because like, listen, they've done it with uh, Amazon has Reacher now, which I think is a Jack Reacher. Continu- yeah, like not a continuation, but they brought Jack Reacher. Uh, yeah, Jim Jim Ryan with John Krasinski. They did that. Uh, you know, uh, on uh, Dude, Amazon. You just oh, blew me away because it would bring the whole thing full circle too. Because that's yeah, how Mission it's, Impossible it's started. Paramount, I think, if I'm not mistaken, as well. Right? Yeah, it's, it's Paramount. Yeah, yeah. But, but I'm saying like it would bring Mission Impossible full circle because that started as a '60s a '60s right. TV series that my dad grew up watching. And then it became the film series in the 90s. But if somehow Mission Impossible ends up back on the small screen, I mean, that would be kind of poetic in a way, wouldn't it? I, I, yeah. I think you're right. That would be pretty. I think that's what they'll do. They can do it for probably like a lower budget than doing yeah. the films. There's probably maybe less risk and it's content for the streaming service that they're, they're going to need. It's a content war now. We all know yeah. this. So I think that's the way it would go. Um, and what they could do, yeah. now I'm just spitballing, what they could do is like they could take an authority figure from these next two movies. I think I, I forget if Alec Baldwin's character even survived the fallout. I don't think he's alive anymore. I don't think he is, right? So whoever like the new boss is, get lock that 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 actor down and he could be the connective right. tissue into a TV series and now and then this time cuz I remember see I, I'm old, I'm 38 now. It's crazy. But I remember in the 90s people kvetching about the fact that, hey, Mission Impossible is supposed to be about a team of spies. It's an ensemble thing, and everyone has their specialty, right. and it was never about one guy. And now this is just a Tom Cruise action movie, blah, blah, blah. You know. And then as the films have worn on, they, they've kind of brought the team it element team. more totally to the is, forefront. Now, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think MI2 really had any sort of team element. You know, and no, like, it wasn't until, f- like, 4. Yeah. I yeah, think yeah, 4 yeah. is when we've got Peg. Yeah, right. so it would be interesting too. Like again, in terms of going full circle, right? It went from a a show about a, a team of spies into a film franchise about one cool dude. Yeah, one man army finally has a team, and then it goes back to TV. So it's like you know, I yeah, I, like I feel like that's likely the the future of that franchise. Uh, if anything, it's gonna yeah. they're gonna do that, and like I don't know, it probably won't be good. <laughs> I mean, listen, I. I think these movies are going to be really good. I think Tom Cruise is doing some interesting stuff. Oh, I have no doubt sure. the movies are going to be good. They're yeah. all good. They're awesome. Because like, there's rumors, too, that like Seven is going to end on a cliffhanger of some sort. And that Cruise, one of the reasons that, that they delayed Seven is that he wants to have Eight fully in the can before they lock Seven. So that everything is just seamless and flawless between the two right. movies. So I don't see how this could be bad. You know, you have Christopher McQuarrie coming yeah, he's back. back for both, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think Mission Impossible is, yeah. if this is the end, I guess what a way to go. But uh, see, now you've got me intrigued about a, an MI TV series. So now we'll yeah. see what happens after eight comes out, you know, we shall see. Um, but okay. So earlier this week, Nintendo held one of their uh, direct thingies and yeah. you, my the, the resident gaming guru here at the That's fan me. the fanboy podcast, uh, you did a reaction video which people can check out over on the YouTube. All forty yeah, glorious check minutes. It out. It was my first one. Yeah, your first reaction video. And uh, so, just but for here for for the listeners and the viewers of the fanboy podcast, are there any things that jumped out at you that were particularly noteworthy 
about yes. this week's Nintendo Direct. Yes, yes. So there was a 40-minute presentation, so it was a nice, chunky one, uh, basically giving us a look at, you know, what's coming out, probably mostly focused on the first half of the year, although there were, uh, like, there was, like, one thing that was for, like, later in the fall that was, like, a big tease. So I, I don't want to go through every single thing. There's a lot of smaller titles, but a couple of quick highlights as I yeah. look at my screen. So the big fin finale, uh, which I was hoping was going to be Zelda or something, a little reveal on the sequel to Breath of the Wild, unfortunately didn't get that. Um, but there really was something for everybody here. Uh, the end, uh, they revealed Xenoblade Chronicles 3, which is a pretty beloved uh, RPG series. It started on the Wii. Um, it's like exclusive to Nintendo consoles by Monolith uh, Studios, um, who also help with Breath of the Wild. They're like kind of they mm. kind of work almost exclusively with Nintendo. I think they do some stuff on the side, but it's mostly with Nintendo. So uh, yeah, big anime JRPG like these games take like a hundred hours just to even roll credits. Never mind Yikes. side quests and yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's like it's a commitment. So I've actually played the first one, um, and there was like a weird like side one on the Wii U that faded system that I uh, actually enjoyed a lot. But they're they're also for me a little overwhelming, a little too much going on. So that was the that was the big one. Uh, we got to see a little more of Splatoon three, which we already knew was coming. Not a series I'm really into. It's multiplayer focused, and multiplayer doesn't hold my attention. Yeah. Um, a couple of cool things, maybe for the more casual, they are making like a sequel to Wii Sports called Switch Sports, and it's basically bringing back oh, that whole what? motion play and stuff. And they added like a million sports, and they're gonna have free updates. That was like, actually yeah. a cool little surprise. Um, we also got a reveal of um, another Mario sports title. They've been revisiting. They brought golf back, tennis back. Uh, we're actually getting an updated um, Mario Strikers. So this game came out on, if I'm not mistaken, the GameCube, and then I think we have it on the Wii, and it's like basically like Battle Soccer. Um, this is by a studio, Next Level Games, who actually went on to make the Luigi's Mansion series, which is like really popular. Nintendo just purchased them, if I'm not mistaken, I think January 2021. They don't really buy studios, but they were like, you guys have the Nintendo DNA, so we're going to invest, and they bought them. And uh, I'm assuming, I haven't, I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming they're making this one. And you could tell it's got a little more polish, a little more uh, pizzazz to it than like the Mario Tennis and, and, and golf titles that came out recently, which I enjoy, but they're a little sterile. Um, so gotcha. this is actually pretty exciting. I think people are really thrilled about that. Um, no Man's Sky, which is a game that has been out for PlayStation and, and Xbox and PC for quite a while, um, is now getting a Switch release. That's actually just like a really cool, uh, interesting title. Again, not really for me, but there's a lot of people who love that and be able to play it portable now is very awesome. Uh, my man, I shouted him out on the, on the direct, but my man, Isaac Wolf. Isaac Wolf. At Emblem Maniac. Um, I'm sure he is very happy they unveiled the new Fire Emblem game. Uh, it's a Fire <laughs> Emblem Warriors, so it's uh, what they call a Musou-style game, which is basically you're like a one-man army just like knocking out and blowing up millions of people at once. But it's a sequel to Fire Emblem Three Houses, which just recently came out. So that's pretty cool. I'm sure he's thrilled. I will be seeing him on my Switch online playing the crap out of that when that releases, <laughs> I think, in June. Um, and then, uh, yeah, a couple other quick ones. Portal and Portal 2. Which, if you've never played those games, they are yeah, they're the old, games. right? They are very old, but they are two of the best games ever made, and they still hold up. Both of them are coming to Switch, so now you can play those portable. That's really awesome. Um, also, uh, some just great voice work in it. Very funny. Uh, J.K. Simmons actually voices uh, oh, really? in the sequel. <laughs> And also Stephen Merchant, who works at Ricky Gervais. I know Stephen Merchant. Come on, so now. there and then, um, yeah, they're kind of like the two like celebrity ones in the second one, but it's it's great. Uh, they voice like robots, and they're hysterical. The writing is some of the best writing in games, like period. The end. And little callback: Jaja Abrams <laughs> has been attached to creating a Portal movie for a very long time, oh, and really? supposedly it's not like. 
I mean, it's not an active development or anything, but yeah. it's like not dead. They're still like it's still on the table apparently. So very cool, fun fact. Uh, and then I'll just uh, cut right to my big thing was that they unveiled they are going to add forty eight additional courses to Mario Kart Eight Deluxe. Um, and they're going wait to what? Do so they're basically adding an entire another game to Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. How did I miss that? That's huge. This is huge. So that game, just so you know, Nintendo Switch just hit 100 million units worldwide. Uh, it has now outsold the Wii. Um, it's actually 103, so it's actually outsold the Wii, which is incredible. Um, wow. But 40 million Switch owners have Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. So there's a 40% attach rate to the console. So that's like an incredible sales. It's also the best-selling racing game ever in the world, ever in the universe. So that actually happened like a year or two ago. The best-selling racing game ever. Ever. <laughs> so more than, a, wow. More than any other racing game in the world. Yeah, like, what, what were those ones that used to be huge back in the day? Gran Turismo and well, all that? No, the Gran Turismo and Forza are still huge, but yeah, it's, it's even yeah. blown these guys apart. Wow. And I'm not talking about the series, just yeah. this title. This um, one title. So the big thing is they announced, which is weird because this game came out like five years ago. Uh, actually, if you go longer, it came out on the Wii U first, then they ported yeah. it to Switch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is many years later. And then are we going to have to pay for those extra courses or is that so, just yeah. going to be an update? 48 courses, they're going to release in waves. So between ah. now and the end of 2023, they're going to release them in sets of eight. Um, the whole Talk DLC, about milking an old game. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, exactly. But... um. <laughs> 20 i think it's 25 dollars if you want to buy the dlc and you get all the waves but if you have nintendo switch online and yeah. you've upgraded to the expansion pack which is a very cute name if you remember n64 had yeah the i remember pack. The expansion pack. so they've added this it used to be 20 dollars a year for nintendo switch online you got super nintendo and nintendo games to play kind of like uh you know on demand uh the expansion pack gives you uh n64 games and uh sega genesis games but now also included in that is this DLC for free. So if you've upgraded to that $50 a year membership, you're going to yeah. get all this DLC for free. So wow. I think a pretty cool value. And recently well, – Actually, earlier, I already have. Yeah. I yeah, did that because so, I wanted the N64 and the Sega Genesis arcade. So as long so. as you keep your subscription up, you are going to get all these courses as they release. So. Wow. And they're actually – it's all retro courses that they're remastering from the series. Oh, that's uh, amazing. No original courses. So they're bringing stuff back from the Super Nintendo, the mobile game that's out now, uh, the GameCube, the wow. Wii. Um, fan favorite Coconut Mall is returning, which is a big fan favorite. Nice. The Wii version. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That was for me. That was like the big showstopper. And uh, huh. hey, no Mario, no Zelda, but you know what that means. In June, when we hit E3 time, I'm sure we're getting a reveal of one or We'd both. better. And We'd uh, better. I'm sure when we get our update for the second half of the year, that's uh, what we're getting, hopefully. So, hey, right. that's my update. Check out the reaction video. And, uh, yeah, let me know what you think. Give me any feedback. It was my first one. And uh, I would like to keep doing them as cool trailers and announcements come out um, just so we have content on the site. So thank you. Yeah, and I'm thinking of doing a reaction to your reaction video. I'm going to react to the way you, you reacted. What and then think? I'll react to the way you reacted. <laughs> just the, 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 the screen just keeps getting smaller and smaller. Like the, the video is just – If anyway. you saw Inside by Bo Burnham on Netflix uh, last year, when that came <laughs> out, he actually does like a thing on that and it's yeah. phenomenal. <laughs> well, that's good. You know what's phenomenal? We have what? great listeners. Oh, we sure do. We have great do. listeners. We have great viewers. I knew that. Our return last week went very nicely over You don't have YouTube. to tell me. I know you. I don't have you to don't tell have you. You don't have to tell me but anymore. We have a dedicated base of phenomenal, passionate fanboys and some fangirls out there. 
and they've sent in some questions for us to go over. And honestly, this is going to be a regular part of the show because part of the point here is this is the fanboy podcast. And this is for all the fanboys and all the fangirls in the world to kind of get in on the conversation. So we're always going to be asking you for things. I'm actually going to be setting up a dedicated email just for questions and things of that resort. But for, the, for this time, we resorted to the old Twitter. And if you're not following the Fanboy Podcast over on the Twitter, you're going to want to follow at the Fanboy Show, okay? Because, uh, well, cool things happen there. But, all right, so here are some of the questions that came in. Actually, before we do, Brett, did you have anything you wanted to say about the feedback we got last week? I do. So, friend of the show, uh, Jonathan Brady, he brought up uh, on our YouTube video of our last week's podcast that I had actually conflated the story from the Telltale Batman series on video game consoles and Batman Earth 1, and I want to thank him for that. Because I did play a smidge of the Telltale Batman series, and I'm not sure if actually that, that plot point about Thomas Wayne uh, not being squeaky clean and maybe yeah. working for the mob. Uh, I'm not sure if I actually played up to that point where I discovered that, or maybe I just was like, let me look on Wikipedia and see what this plot's about, because <laughs> I don't want to play this game anymore. Yeah, I was yeah, just, yeah. I still intrigued by the story, but I didn't like the way the game played. Yeah. And uh, anyway... He was right. I did conflate it, and thank you for correcting me. So that's awesome. <laughs> and listen, Jonathan's the man. Jonathan was our ace Batman reporter at revengeofthefans.com back in the day. And I know that Jonathan can't freaking wait for this Pattinson movie. I remember he was talking about Robert Pattinson being the perfect Batman like a year before Reeves cast him. So, uh Jonathan, thanks for checking out the show. And uh, Brett is very sorry. I flogged him for getting that wrong. I promise yeah. Um, but okay so we were just talking about video games and whatnot and Tavo Borrego uh, sent in a a somewhat game related question I thought I'd I'd bounce off you there Brett because there's you know there's this Halo miniseries coming that's right and I'm just curious do we care do you care about the Halo miniseries that's coming to Amazon Prime so it's funny. I'm not a huge like Halo fan. Um, yeah. Recently, I have been playing Halo Infinite, which actually I really loved. So it's kind of been like the first game that really like hooked me in that series. Yeah. I'm like kind of up to date on the lore. I'm not like super into it. A lot of people are very into it. There's books. There's comics. There's everything. Um. So I don't know. I saw the recent trailer for the series. Um. They they did they did the slow the slow minor key cover of a famous song. It's got a really slow weird version of In the Air Tonight. And I uh, wish everyone would stop doing that, but whatever. Say la vie. <laughs> um, anyway, the trailer looked pretty cool. It's interesting. I mean, listen, I love sci-fi stuff. It, Halo does have a really cool story. Um, you know, it some spots looks really good. Um, like, I love the way some of the aliens look, but it's a lot of CG. Um, and you can see, like, I think they probably put a lot of budget into the CG, and the sets kind of didn't always look great. They look a little TV, if you know what yeah. I mean. So I'm just curious at how it's how it's going to flow and how it's going to play. Um, you know, as we've seen with The Mandalorian, it's totally yeah. possible to have a guy who doesn't take his helmet off if, like, they really are good with the body language. And uh, it looks like they're they're basically doing that. It's The Mandalorian, but it's Halo. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. We'll see. I, I'm definitely going to check it out. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, like some of the stuff I saw look cool, but I'm just yeah wondering if it's really going to connect with people, and um, if you might just start noticing like the budget just doesn't quite, you know, really live up to what we need for that series because that's, you know, that there's a lot of expectations on something yeah. like that. That's a that's a big 
really popular series. So yeah, for me, I'm not really qualified to respond because Spielberg's never... a producer, by the way. I just want oh. to know that. I don't know. There you He's go. Been attached to her for quite a while. When the Neil Blomkamp movie was going to happen, yeah, he was going to do a Halo movie and all that. But huh. so, you know, Spielberg's involved, so that's like maybe a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, Spielberg attached to anything makes it better because he tends right. to uh, put a high value on telling a coherent story that has something to it. That's not just a bunch of explosions. So that that does uh, make me a little more excited for it. But full disclosure, I've never played a Halo game. Like if I played, I think I was like a sleepover at my cousin's house. A little, little split screen. So, <laughs> yeah, for like 20 minutes. I, I, I'm just not qualified to answer. I'm sure it, it, as long as it's got an epic story and cool characters, I'm sure people are going to want to see it. But I don't have one iota of caring one way or the other about this Halo miniseries. So we're going to move on. Uh, my man, Nick Farina, brought up. Uh, it's a rumor that's popped around for a while. And, uh, well, Henry Cavill is rumored to have been near the sets for both The Flash and and Black Adam during the period where those films were being filmed. And he, of course, was looking all super manlish the way he does because he's just always looks like he's chiseled out of rock. And uh, some folks think that this is an indication that he's going to be in one or both of those films or making some sort of cameo. And that this, you know, Nick thinks that this isn't getting enough attention. And, um, I mean, look, Nick, do I think it's possible? I think anything's possible. At this point, especially with, with what they're doing with The Flash, where there's going to be multiple Batman, and we're going to be playing with the idea of the multiverse, and we're probably going to see him kind of phase in and out of different worlds within the multiverse. Um, I think we're going to see all kinds of stuff, is my point. And would it shock me if Henry has a moment in the flash that isn't just on the TV screen? Yeah, it wouldn't shock me. And I still think if there's any chance he's going to show up, it's going to be in something like black Adam or Shazam. But right now, you know, it's all just speculation, you know, because listen, him looking Superman ish is something that Nick pointed out. He always looks like that. He's all, you know, he, he's jacked for the Witcher. He's jacked for everything. He's always in Superman shape, you know, and a lot of things film in the places where these movies are filming. Listen, I'm not trying to poo poo the idea. Yeah. I want it to be true, but right now, you know, it, we'll just have to see. But we have to keep our expectations in check because even if Henry shows up in these movies and has cool Superman-ish moments, we know that they're not planning on giving him any solo movies right now. So it's kind of like a bittersweet thing. We might see him and he'll look great and he'll do something cool and we'll hear a few bars of Hans Zimmer and we'll all be wee. But we have to understand that for all intents and purposes, the studio has not given us a Man of Steel 2. So we have to hedge. We have to you know, keep our expectations in check. Uh, we might get some great fan service moments. And uh, that's probably just going to be it. But, I hope uh, it's the ultimate troll. 
and he just shows up in the multiverse as Geralt of Rivia. <laughs> that's the only shot you get of like the Flash is running and you just see Geralt in there and they look at each other and that's it. And, and that's then it. everyone just melts. I want just the whole fan base melts. Either that or he is, but he just plays this actor named Henry Cavill. <laughs> Andrew Miller asked him quite, you know, the Flash asked him a bunch of questions and he has no idea what he's talking about. Anyway. Um, I hope the Flash is watching Mission Impossible 6 and you just see Henry Cavill reload his arms. <laughs> yeah, you know, the rumor said that they showed it. Superman on a TV. It's just the Flash watching Mission Impossible Fallout. That's all that that cameo <laughs> is. Uh, so listen, man, I want it to happen. It is definitely intriguing that he was near those film sets at around the time they were filming. And they're both movies that could very well use a quick sort of Superman presence in them for black Adam. I would say maybe as a post credit sequence setting up where they go next. Cause you know, like we discussed last week, Dwayne Johnson has made no bones about it. He wants black Adam and Superman to fight real bad. And they've worked backwards. They reverse engineered his entire black Adam experience. To make this fight happen. So I think he might show up in an end sequence there and he might have one cool, cute little moment in the flash, but you know, it's that bittersweet thing of this is all we get now from Henry Superman. So listen, we'll see what happens, but uh, thanks for sending in your question there, Nick. Thank you. Nick. Now we got another Superman question and this is from my friend, Stephen Marshall. A member of the Krypton World Order, the KWO, if you will, he and I once were part of. <laughs> and Stephen Marshall had some questions. And, and uh, he, he's a Brit. And uh, in the past, when he sent in his questions, I will attempt to do his accent. And you know what's funny? When I was, I used to record with him like almost every week, I, I had his dialect fresh in my ear and I could do it. <laughs> now it's been like a long time. So I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to read. Stephen's thing in his accent or something thereabouts. Um, of all the cancelled Superman projects over the years, i.e. Superman Lives, Superman Flyby, Wolfgang Peterson's Batman vs. Superman, <laughs> Superman, Superman. <laughs> JL Mortal, etc. Which one do you feel had the most potential and which one would you have liked to be able to watch the most? So, um, so Brett, you know that there's been some canceled Superman projects. You know that Tim oh, Burton have there. Yes, uh, Tim Burton was going to make Superman lives with Nicolas Cage. We had Jaja Abrams. He he's he, he must be the sponsor of the show. <laughs> Episode 136 <laughs> brought to you by JJ Abrams. <laughs> um, but yeah, he he had Superman flyby happening for some time. And then there was Wolfgang Peterson's Batman versus Superman, which, again, that's the movie that eventually gave us Batman Begins and Superman Returns in the in the early zeros. That's the and then there that was, was teased in uh, I Am Legend. On the yes. Book. Yes. We saw the uh, the the teaser image for that. Yep. And then there was uh, George Miller's JL Mortal, which was set to come out during Christopher Nolan's trilogy, but not actually have the Christian Bale Batman, but rather, uh, who was it going to be? There was DJ Katrona as Superman. Oh, an army hammer. Yeah. <laughs> cannibal <Batman>. hammer. <laughs> um, so yeah, so there've been a number of projects that like, 
listen, they were building sets. They were like getting very close to happening and then just dropped off the face of the earth. Were there any of those that you had any particular interest in? I'm just curious um, over the years, as you've heard of these aborted projects. Yeah, the the JL Mortal one always sounded like a little too bonkers for me, and I, I'm, I'm again, I always say I'm not like a, a stickler that things have to stick. To what Jay Baruchel as Max Lord doesn't? I'm, I'm not even talking about like the casting, like just like yeah. the story that he was going for was just seemed bonkers. I don't know. Yeah. Um, for me, yeah, I probably uh, Superman. Superman <laughs> lives, maybe. <laughs> Superman lives just because, like. It's Tim Burton, so I know yeah. it was going to be like some just weird, crazy stuff. And obviously, I I love the Michael Keaton Batman uh, and Batman Returns from him too. So like, yeah, that's definitely such uh, again another a, a curio I would love to have seen. And then uh, Superman Flyby is something I know they kind of changed some stuff there with with how um, Superman. I guess I don't know if, not how he's depicted, but some of his background and history, but. I generally, I know people might might hate me for this, but I generally like like a lot of Judge Abrams films. Like I, they're they're usually a good time. I've never like walked out of one and been like, oh, that was trash. You know, I, listen, yeah. there's criticisms to levy at them, of course, but um, for the most part, I really enjoy them. They're fun. They're usually paced pretty well. So that would have been something special. I, and you know, whatever. He's still working on one now, so we're technically yeah. kind of going to get some kind of Judge Abrams. Superman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for me, it's because um, you know, it's a two-part question, so I'm going to answer both. Steven, in terms of which one has my most attention, the one that I would most want to see, uh, I would really want to see Tim Burton Superman Lives, just like Brett said. You know, to me, the curiosity surrounding that, seeing Nicolas Cage as Superman with the long hair and that unique, like, light suit that they were building for him and... You know, I, I would have been very, very morbidly curious to see what that movie turned out to be, what Burton's take on the Man of Steel would be. But I don't think it would have been a hit. I really don't. When, when they were developing that between 94 and 96, I think the I think the world wouldn't have been ready for a weird, long haired Nicolas Cage Superman movie. Yeah, you know, I feel like it, it would have flopped. It would it, it would not have worked. I just like if you pitch that movie to me and to fans, then yeah. we probably would have been like, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Now, exactly. At this, I'm 35, exactly. and I've seen pictures of it and heard Kevin Smith talk about it, and I'm like, this exactly. thing's so freaking weird. Yeah, I need to see it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's it one that I think might have had the best chance at being a success. I actually think the Abrams, he's got to send us the check. JJ, we are putting you over big time. He's the today. king of mainstream, whether you but, hate yeah. that or like that. But he, listen, he he knows how to make a mainstream film. He does. Yeah, I mean, look, you know? he tell you there are some liberties, there are some things that he had in mind for Flyby that I wouldn't have done. But realistically speaking, when they were developing that movie between 2003 and 2005 or so, you know, there hadn't been a Superman movie in nearly 20 years. And at that point, Abrams had sort of developed a touch with he seemed to know how to draw a big audience. And even though he took some liberties with Krypton still being around and Lex Luthor being an alien and you know, he even though he took some interesting creative departures, I have a feeling it might have been a big commercial success because he does seem to kind of get 
what you know the, the the special sauce on these ips you know he took he brought star wars back to a two billion dollar box office after everyone hated the prequels for 15 years you know like he's got a way to like inject new life into stuff that even may have seemed dead so i feel like flyby might have actually really worked but it's not the one that would have been on the top of my list the top of my list is superman lives can you and imagine you, the lens flares that we missed out on? <laughs> oh, the so lens So many flares. lens flares. <laughs> yes. And the final question before we get into our you know, wrap up everything with our thoughts on Peacemaker. Uh, the final question that came in was about fan casts. Uh, I want to I give him proper uh, Mr. Hero Cosplay on the Twitter said how about whether or not fan casts are a good thing for studios to actually pay attention to so let's talk about that a little bit because we are we do live in the age of fandom wanting to get involved in the process and they're campaigning for actors and campaigning for directors and you know the, the fans really feel a sense of ownership sure. when it comes to IPs and characters and stuff these days and Sometimes people, you know, the, these fan casts take over and you start hearing about names and, and, and short lists start popping up. But a lot of it is just people who fans would think would be cool to play a certain character. And sometimes directors pay attention to that stuff. And then sometimes they go the total opposite way. And so I'll ask you first, Brett, in this age of the fans always wanting to have their voice heard, do you think studio should give a shit about fan casts? Right. I mean, sometimes it could bring attention to someone the studios would have totally overlooked. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it, it could be a cool thing. But overall, I'm I'm not a huge fan of it. I, I having, you know, and I think you kind of share the same experience as me. Like we've both, um, you know, we're not like professional actors. Like I guess I haven't been in like a huge major film, but, you know, we've both acted before. We've directed before. Mm -hmm. We've been in productions and there is something, you know, to you know, having your vision and going out and finding that person that has, you know, what you need versus just like bringing someone in because everyone else said, and for the most part too, like, I feel like when you see a lot of fan casting, it's usually people just picking somebody that looks like yeah. a character's drawn in the <clears throat> comics or, or that, like, they're not thinking like very much deeper about it. You know, like it's the reason why, like, right. Everyone had a big uproar over Heath Ledger as the Joker. I mean, you know, but look how that worked out. And even Pattinson, yep. yeah, listen, we haven't seen him yet. Maybe he's absolute dog shit, okay? It's yeah. three hours of the worst Batman I've ever seen. But, I mean, you have someone like that, like, he wasn't really going to get fan cast. But Reeves said, I saw this movie, I saw a good time, and this kid's got some darkness, and mm. I think he can do what I want. And, hey, uh, everything I've seen so far is telling me that. So, yeah, I, I think... It, there's a whole creative process behind it. There's so much. There's so every. There's so much involved. Not even just the director. Like you know mm -hmm. everything. Uh, yeah. So to take in consideration. So you know a fan cast like can seem like a good idea, but it's usually, in my opinion, they're usually pretty shallow. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you hit the nail on the head that a lot of times fans demonstrate a lack of imagination. You know, really what they're going for is, oh, this person looks just like the comic book character, so we should cast them. You know, it needs to be something very obvious. And someone like a Heath Ledger for Joker is not typical at all. Someone like a Robert Pattinson for Batman is not typical at all. Sure. And yet, you know, it's just, I feel like fan casts should kind of 
be completely ignored. It, it, it should be like back in the day when like Wizard Magazine would do fan casts and it was just geeks going, oh, that would be cool. But I don't think anyone in charge of making any of these movies or series should be paying attention to what fans want. Because on top of that, fans, they half the time they can't agree on what they want. You know, fans are always yeah. interfighting about something. And there's gonna we're gonna be fighting about this idea. This is the best idea ever. Oh no, this is the worst idea ever. Mm -hmm. And there's gonna be all kinds of passions anyway you go. So I'd rather just let the creator, let the artist, let the director yeah. call the shots on that. Because I remember everyone that like whenever when everyone was screaming about Heath Ledger, all the alternatives they were saying were so like cliche. People was oh it should be Willem Dafoe. Why? Because yeah. he looks exactly because like. Because when he Joker. smiles, his face is big. Yeah, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean. Like they name these people who are like yeah. If you put it looks like a yeah, you know, I get it. But yeah. really, that's that's it. We don't care about how this you know how where their performance fits in the story and the, their chemistry with the main character. Like you know, we, yeah, it's above everyone's pay grade to be making these decisions. So I think fan casts uh, should just basically be roundly ignored for the most part. Yeah. That's just kind of my uh, my take on that. And uh, but now let's share our take on this week's peacemaker so folks we're about to go into spoilerific reactions to the seventh episode of peacemaker which came out and i think penultimate Tuesday. episode uh, is it really is it only i eight? think there's only one more i can oh, wrong, but I that think bums me I don't tell me that i love this damn show what am i going to do now i know uh and superman and lois is on a hiatus so we will not yes. be sharing any thoughts on superman and lois this week but let's go full bore into Peacemaker. So I'll let you start. What, what did, you know, real quick, did, did episode seven live up? Did it continue the winning streak for you or did it kind of falter? How did you feel like coming out of Peacemaker? No, I, I love this episode. I yeah. mean, the show has just shown an incredible ability to really have a lot of heart and these emotional yeah. and character moments. And, yo, look at Cena, man, shedding tears and everything like that. Like, Dude. and they, this week with the big thing was they kind of like finally showed you the full scope of what happened with his brother. Yes. Cause like they kept like kind of doing it, but then cutting away and they mm -hmm. finally like really showed it out now. And, um, you know, it, it's, 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 it's struck such an incredible balance of comedy. Like I said, character development, heart, mm -hmm. and I love all, I really do. Like I, I, like I'm fall, I fall in love with all these characters. I love all of them. Uh, they're really cool. They've, they've had a lot of, they've also done a great job. I think at like moving the ensemble around and pairing different groups of them together and seeing yeah. how they react and interact. And Hey, this week, you know, listen, we lost like actually like a really cool character this week. Yeah. Um, we also lost uh well, big, big piece of shit also this week too. So <laughs> there, there was, um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're doing spoilers, right? So yeah. um, Peacemaker uh, finally got to, uh, you know, throw down with his father and, uh, you know, ended it. Um, I did not see that coming, by the way. I thought I didn't expect it. Now, yeah, it was, really, it was actually honestly, it was like really emotional, <laughs> dude. I thought Robert Patrick was going to be in the show now, just you know, for the just for the long right. haul, and I was happy for him. I love Robert Patrick yeah. ever since Terminator Two. I'm like, good, give him a great meaty role, but he's gone. <laughs> yeah. But, well, because they got they had to get rid of him, I think, you know, to get some character growth out of Peacemaker, yeah. and that sets us up for the big finale where we have to take down these butter butterflies. And I guess we should. Uh, I mean, you want to give your thoughts before we talk about the post credit scene? 
Yes. So I've got a bunch of little things. That, yeah, I, I was just writing notes while watching yeah, the sure. show that I kind of want to just bounce off you because there were some interesting revelations about the character. Aside yeah. from finding out about the death of his brother and how that actually went down and that terrible scene, by the way, you know, his origin story basically is just it's horrendous. Awful. And the way that the father reacts to him and the names he calls him and the way he reacts, it's just a total gut punch. But when he, when Robert Patrick was confronting him, you know, when the dad was confronting him at one point uh, and he's listing all the things that, that suck about his son and the things that he, the reasons he knew that his son doesn't basically deserve to live anymore. He mentioned devil music and he shaved his body like a woman. But then he said something about laying with whores and with men. And I'm like, that's an interesting choice. Like I doubt that the, peacemaker from the 60s and 70s comics had that as part of their story so it just made me wonder like is gun gonna explore that further like is that another thing about this guy's psyche that maybe he's got some other closeted stuff that he's never quite dealt with or was it just a one-off line that never comes back to it but either way i don't know if it was a joke yeah, if it was a joke because of like he had been in prison. But I mean, like, but everything he said in the, you know, he was saying yeah. it basically in the death threat, running down all the different things he did wrong, yeah. and and you and you laid with men, like it didn't seem like it was done for a gag. So I'm like, yeah, huh. no, that's what I'm saying. I, that's I thought for a second maybe it was that, but no, I think like you said, it was a real yeah. revelation. So that just got me wondering, yeah, like, yeah. like are they going to actually go down that path in like season two? Imagine, like, yeah, I'm just saying that would yeah. be pretty ballsy. Yeah. To take, you know, the John you know, Peacemaker, like, it, I mean, you wouldn't see it coming if, if suddenly they were going to explore some of that sort of facet. Some well, more. Maybe he's know, just but... like he's just like sexually fluid. It doesn't necessarily mean yeah. that he like identifies as a certain. Yeah, I know. It just it, but, it just but it's, it's all interesting. It, it gives yeah. you a, a layer to this guy. And like it's, it's just another know. one of the layer of what's going on inside. And why does he act the way that he does and all that? Yeah. You know, it's just how I he might use that... that in a way too. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff, you know, it's very interesting. Dude, I just I started like cheering when I started seeing eagerly beating the Shia, attacking KKK members. There's Eagle just something awesome. about watching an American eagle try to destroy the KKK that just feels right. It feels, <laughs> it, feels right. it feels like justice. Um, and also, and in that scene, by the way, Steve, uh, Stephen Aggie. The uh, uh, economo. What, what do they call him? Die beard. Die beard. Die beard. It's economo is his real name. Yeah. He keeps on having Econos. the best hero moments in the show. You know, in the gorilla scene, he got the yep. chainsaw kill on the gorilla, right? And he came out with the SMG in this. And one. then he's in this one, he's got the like... SMG, and he's just mowing down KKK yeah. hoods. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's like low key the hero of the story. You yeah. Know? Um. And then I thought Robert Patrick, like the acting was unbelievable because yeah. when when Peacemaker actually shoots him dead center of the forehead, mm-hmm. you look at Robert Patrick's eyes and you see him acknowledge for a second, oh, and then he's gone. Right. And I love that in those moments, yeah, he was he was telling him that you know he was telling Peacemaker that you don't have the balls and you're not man enough and you won't do right. it. And then he has that moment of, oh, I was wrong. And then he's <laughs> so did. good. But it was just like, yeah, it was amazing. Because like, I actually rewound a couple of times. And the look in his eyes is unbelievable. Top tier <laughs> acting, just phenomenal. 
And to me, like, to me, like, I thought there was something so powerful about that because mm-hmm. the dad is like the monkey on his back. The dad is the thing that has steered him wrong. The dad is the thing that, like, is his cross to bear, so to speak. And I feel like we, yeah. a lot of us, have our cross to bear, our monkey on our sure. back, our thing that we wish we could confront or defeat in ourselves. But most of us just live with that thing our whole lives or find ways to mitigate it. He, killed the monkey on his back and i found that powerful i'm like this is going to set him up on an interesting trajectory if you go into season two and all that sort of stuff because like what must it feel like to have this dark cloud hanging over you and then you just eliminated it for good you know i just found that like just quietly really interesting and i'm I'm curious like how that's going to affect him as he tries to essentially like remake himself and become a better person become a person he's proud of being Right. And uh, I'm sure many of us would love to metaphorically kill that thing that's on our back that's holding us, you know, stopping us from being who we want to be. Sure. You know? So that felt just unbelievably powerful to me. Um, cathartic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, speaking of like powerful and cathartic, like I cried when Eagerly hugged him. Did yeah, you cry? I, had a, I teared up a little bit. I couldn't deal with wrapped his arms around him. It was um it was just beautiful, especially, you know, if you think about like this is a guy who's done a lot of no good and eagerly probably knows it, but eagerly forgives him and eagerly knows that there's someone good in there. You know, like there was just there was something about it that was so like symbolic. And also with uh, Adioye watching. You know, through the window, and then yep. I also love that he he got the phone. And he was like, "Got the selfies." Yeah, yeah, like yeah, a yeah, million. Yeah. You kept hearing. <laughs> yep, and and also, and but you saw it hit her like a ton of bricks. That like, yeah. this is the guy I did that to. You know, yeah. I I planted a journal and tried to ruin this guy's life, and he thinks being hugged by an eagle is a miracle, and he's sobbing about it. Like this is, you right. know, this is not a bad guy. You know, like you could tell, like it ate her up. Yeah, he was just realized. You know, yeah, yeah, you know. Um, so that was another great moment. Um, although if, if I could bring up anything that I'm over, I want to know what the villain is because I'm tired of just hearing about the butterflies, the butterflies, the butterflies. Cause to me, like that doesn't sound threatening at all, you know? And, and, and it almost sounds like, you know, it makes the sentences that include the butterflies sound a little silly when they're like, we're all very serious and we've got guns and we got to run. Listen, we got to go and deal with the butterflies. I'm like, mm. so yeah, I'm just, I'm, I want to finally, them. yeah. Like let's <laughs> let, what are their real names and who, what is the main villain? Cause I'm just overhearing about yeah. um, the butterflies, but I understand what you're saying about the name, but I mean, like we've we've seen they're they're pretty vicious. Like I don't think actually we talked in great detail. Like last week, yeah, that gruesome scene in the police uh, station on episode oh, six, wow, where like everyone's faces were just like bleeding out and ripping yeah. apart. Because I was like, no, butterflies are pretty scary. They <laughs> are, they are. It's just that name sound. You know, every time they no, refer to them as that, I'm like, all right. Let, let, yeah. let's come up with some you know like like the chitauri like let's give them some name that sounds kind of like ooh alien and scary yeah because the butterflies i'm like all right i get it but um but going back to like eagerly and that you, know, you brought up cena really bringing it with the yeah. acting i mean at some point i wrote a note today that just said cena is really fucking good yeah, <laughs> he's, just he's going for really it. is 
it's unbelievable to watch. He's bringing so much of himself to the role. He's being vulnerable and emotional and showing all these layers to this bravado character. I mean, you know, honestly, I think Hollywood and James Gunn in particular is learning what the best wrestlers have in spades. Because remember, he worked with Dave Batista in the Guardians movies. Now he's working with Cena. And other directors have already learned this with Dwayne Johnson. But the guys who are really good at the guys who can be the, the, the top star in a wrestling company, who can captivate 30,000 people in an arena just with their eyebrow, those guys have a certain, like, there's an X factor. There's a, the best ones do. Not every wrestler can be an actor. But the guys who get it, the guys who hone their craft for those years and they tour the world and, and they learn how to use every facet of their face and their body to project the story. Because they understand that the body language really matters, where you put your head really matters. Like, they understand, like, they, they learn how to manipulate a huge audience just using their physical body. Well, they're, the the they're like the theater actors that then yeah. move into film. Yeah, and it is. It's theater. so it, it's, it's just funny theater, to think so. like I, I I'm surprised that there aren't more crossovers or maybe there will be now like, when people are starting to really get it. Like, wait a minute. Dwayne Johnson, John Cena, Dave Batista. These guys all came from that world and they're phenomenal. And 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 you know, whatever. I just it to me as a wrestling fan, it You're makes right. me excited to be like now the whole world is starting to see how talented these guys can be. It's not just about throwing fake punches and doing, you know, uh, choreographed right. stunts. Like it takes real charisma. It takes real chops to have an entire audience eating out of the palm of your hand, cheering for you, booing you, crying yeah. for you, all that stuff. And then when they appear on a movie set, the director probably has the easiest job in the world with them because you, right. you know, they've already got so much. You, you probably just have to scale them down a little bit. You don't right. have to try to get a lot out of them because they're, they're already, you know, they're ready to turn it on like that. Yeah, they know how to play. So, <laughs> so yeah, I just, Cena, I'm so proud of the work he's doing. He's doing, it, it just, he's so good. I can't wait to see where he goes from here because I feel like up until this, his acting career has been a little hit or miss. He's had some moments. He has a, he had a small part in that Bumblebee movie you didn't see. Mm -hmm. He had a part in that Amy Schumer comedy that kind of started his acting career. But he's had these little standalone bits here and there. But now that yeah. Peacemaker is the number one streaming show in the world and Crazy. everyone's getting to see what this guy can do. I'm just fascinated by where he goes from here. What kinds of roles does he take and what kind of sure. doors open for him? Because I don't know. I think the sky's the limit with Cena. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm so freaking yeah. happy he's with how he's a great comic going. actor and he's really shown that he can, he can do the heavy stuff now too. And it's uh yeah, it's yeah. Impressive. he's, he's, he's one, he's one to keep watching obviously for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just a couple final things. Uh, I love that they're making like a catchphrase out of the idea that there's no wrong time to rock. I'm like, I just yeah. love that. Every character, like Vigilante and Die Beard said it in this last yeah. episode. <laughs> and I believe because that came from Peacemaker first. And I just love that. I want a shirt that says there's no wrong time to rock. Yeah. And when they finally showed, you know, the cow, the thing that is creating yes. all of the food. Like, first of all, it looks incredible. Like, it looks yeah, creepy and weird. But, like, the effects, I just wrote down, 
this is the entire budget for the show. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you look through, through, through six episodes, it's been almost entirely practical. It's a pretty low budget show, except for like the gorilla and eagerly. Uh, but like, I swear that cow thing, that shot, I'm like, this is the whole budget. This is like, you know, th- this is what Gunn said. Like, listen, give me a hundred million bucks, but I'm only going to need like 20 of it for most of the show. Yeah. And then the rest for the is just for, yeah. Last two episodes. Um, so, it, so you think this is the second to last that I'm almost, I mean, you know what? Hey, imagine there was this thing where you could find out anything you ever wanted to know. I mean, listen, if you could find out anything you'd want to know, you would have to turn to something called the Internet. So as Brett puts that into his Google machine, uh, I want to thank you all because we're going to be wrapping this up ever so shortly. We're not going to do an hour and 45 minutes every time. (laughs) We were actually going to try to get this to one hour, but here we go. What is it, Brett? What's the word? There's one more episode, guys. Next week is the oh. season finale. It's an eight-episode series. Wait, hey, listen. See, that kills I me. like – this is the thing I always preach, right? Eight episodes, no filler. Every episode's a banger. That is true. Just do it. Just It's the right thing to do for me. Just for me. Do it for me. Maybe for some other people, but do it for me. All right. And you know what else is the right thing to do? End to this follow podcast. the two of us over on the Twitter so that we can end this podcast. So, we so uh, Brett can be found over on the Twitter at SuperBrettCon. And I can be found over on the Twitter at SupermanOnFilm. And you can follow the show itself at The Fanboy Show. But I think it is officially time to bring this one in. So uh, thanks for joining us. And on behalf of both Brett and I, life is chaos. Be kind. Thanks for the dance. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, everyone.